Thank you so much. It's so nice to be here. I actually feel like I've been given permission now, Ra, to go home and open a Christmas present. So I'm quite excited about that. For those of you who don't know me, I am married to the gorgeous Phil Wilfew, Phil Gorgeous Wilfew. We've had his name changed by Deepol. Um, and we've got two kids, Lauren's 17, Sam is 16, and they are both out on the youth Christmas trip this morning in London. So if you are sitting here a little bit worried that we don't actually have any teenagers in this church, do not fear, we have loads of really, really good ones, but they are all down in, well, lots of them are down in London having all sorts of Christmassy adventures. And the truth is I do oversee youth, so I should be there. But I'm actually still recovering from last year. I felt one more year to recover and I'll join them again <laughs> next year. So I've got the easier gig of preaching to you guys this morning. I feel that you are going to be easier than watching 70 young people in London. Okay, so today we're carrying on with our Daniel series. We've been looking at the story of Daniel. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. I've loved rediscovering his story and just gleaning the lessons from his life. And today we're jumping to Daniel chapter 9 and we are looking at the power of intercession. Come on now, what else would you want to do on a Sunday morning? Oh yeah. Um, and the more I've been um, just journeying with God and studying my Bible, I just want you to know that you cannot convince me otherwise than that God wants to raise up his kids, his people, his children who know how to connect with him and love our relationship with him and pray dynamite prayers that change this world. And Daniel 9 is just another example of that. So I'm going to share a bit of context and then we're going to look at four um, lessons that we can learn from Daniel. We're going to look at prayer, the right foundation, co-laboring, our responsibility and authority, how powerful are our prayers, and then God's promises for our nation and the world. And we're going to do that last point together. We're going to stand and we're going to declare the promises of God over our nation. So I hope you're up for that this morning. Okay, before I share a bit of context, because I'm going to talk a bit about intercession, I thought it might be helpful to actually explain what that means. So intercession actually means to stand in the gap, to go between, to represent one to another. So if you imagine you had to go to court this week, I hope none of you do, but if you did, you might hire an intercessor, and you would call them a lawyer, and they go, would go between you and the other defendant and the judge, and they would gather evidence, they would find out what it was that you wanted, what you needed, and then they would stand in the gap, and they would represent you to the judge. And hopefully, if they were a really good intercessor, you would win and get whatever it was that you needed. That is what intercession looks like. So let's jump to Daniel 9. Okay, so it's now 538 years BC, and 13 years have passed since the vision that Daniel has had in Daniel 8, which you probably don't know anything about because we skipped that chapter, but you can go away and read that. It's definitely in there. Okay, Babylon has recently fallen to Medo-Persia, and the Jews have now been in captivity for 68 years. Okay, and Daniel is reading his Bible, he's reading the scriptures, and he's rediscovered the prophetic word from the prophet Jeremiah that after 70 years of captivity, God was going to deliver his people. Okay, Daniel's done his sums. He knows that they've been in captivity for 68 years, and there are two years to go until God has said that he's going to deliver them. Okay, 
So I don't know if you can imagine this, but Daniel was probably about 13 or 14 years old when he was taken into captivity. And now he's a man in his 80s, still walking with God, believing God, and he receives this promise. So what does he do with it? Well, we're going to pick it up in Daniel 9, verse 3. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. I'm just going to focus on the sackcloth and ashes. I just feel this is really significant. Actually, Marco, I I can just see that word over you. Um, Not really. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. And then Daniel goes on to to pray this really long prayer that I'm actually going to summarize for you. Because from verse 5 to verse 16, Daniel basically begins to confess the sins of the nation and confess to God, we are a rebellious people, we've ignored you, we've um, ignored your prophets, we've done terrible things. And he is associating himself with his people and um, understanding the issues as he comes and intercedes. And then... By verse 17, again, he is remembering God's mercy and he's appealing to who God is. Here we go, verse 17. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, look with favour on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, our God, and open your eyes. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. For your sake, my God, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. And then by verse 20, the angel Gabriel is turning up on his doorstep, and he's starting to tell Daniel the amazing things that God is going to do over the next couple of years and how he's going to deliver his people. And then the following chapters, if you have time to read them this week, you can find out about all the very interesting and exciting stuff that happens in the heavenlies when we pray. It talks about angels and principalities battling it out and how Daniel's prayers impacts what's going on in the heavenlies. So that's my summary of Daniel 9. And so the big question is this, what is it that we can learn from Daniel? So first thing I want to look at, and that is the right foundation in our prayer life. You'll notice that Daniel doesn't start by fixing his eyes on the impossible task that was ahead of him. And he doesn't even fix his eyes on the many things that he really wants God to do or that God does need to do to fulfill his word. But he starts right here, remembering and knowing his God. So I turned to the Lord God, I prayed and confessed, Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love. This is Daniel reminding himself who his God is. He doesn't fix his eyes on the impossible task, but on his amazing God, on his greatness, on his awesome power. And we must know as God's children that prayer always starts and ends with God. It always starts in this place of of who he is. We cannot separate the things we want to ask from, from God from who he actually is. And that's why there's a very thin line, isn't there, between worship and intercession. 
telling God how much we love him, seeing who he is, and then bringing our request before him. And just as a little example of this, so I'm married to Phil, like I've told you, and actually how well I know Phil impacts what I tell him, what I ask of him, and my confidence when I come before him. Okay, so I can come and tell Phil the deep things of my heart because I know that he loves me. I can trust him with my darkest fears and my biggest secrets because he's a man who is faithful. I've learned that about him as I've got to know him. It means that I can come and ask him for a cuddle at any point, not just because I might want one, (laughs) but because I know it's his absolute delight. He loves to give me a cuddle because he loves me so much. It even means that I can ask him for a cup of tea confidently every time, even if he's watching the football, even if, oh yeah, I can, even if it's Brighton and Hove Albion, I can flutter my eyelashes and go, honey, I'd love a cup of tea. I just know it's his absolute delight to go and make him, me, that cup of tea. Isn't it, Phil? (laughs) Now, this is something I wouldn't ask of a total stranger. I wouldn't come with the same confidence, okay, because I don't know them. I don't. So it affects everything in terms of my relationship. The thing about Phil is I also know his limitations. So something you will never hear me asking is something like, Phil, would you highlight my hair, for example? (laughs) Um, He isn't God. He is just a man. So there's limitations to this whole example. But Amanda Cooper is really good at doing that sort of thing. But, um, okay, so our knowing of someone impacts on how we come to them and what we're brave enough to ask of them. And if we don't get this foundation into our prayer life, it would be so easy for us to come and pray from a place of fear or from unbelief or from a religious spirit, or just because we feel that we should, because we're busy trying to be a really good Christian girl and boy. If this foundation isn't right in there, if we're not convinced of his goodness. You know, you and I were never called into a religion, okay? But we were called into a relationship with the living God. John 17, Jesus says, this is eternal life, that you may know God and Jesus Christ who he sent. And this has been a real journey for me. If I'm honest with you, I have prayed many, many prayers over my life from a place of fear, from a place of unbelief, and not really knowing who God is. And I can remember even about 20 years ago coming to a real um, crossroads in my journey with God, where even though I knew he was powerful, I knew he was mighty, I knew in my head he was our saviour and redeemer and all that kind of stuff, in my heart I did not have the foundation that God is good and that he is kind. And the way it affected my prayer life was this, Um, I was actually very disciplined and I was very passionate about all the things I wanted to see God do, so I became very driven And I was praying from a place, not just of fear and unbelief, but it's almost like I'd started to set myself up against God. Because as I didn't see him doing the things I was asking him to do, I created this picture in my mind of what he was like. I started to think, man, I'm the compassionate one here. I'm the one here who's really wanting God to break in on the earth. Actually, my whole view of what he was like was totally skewed, and it impacted my prayers. And I remember talking to a friend. I was so upset. Um, 
about who God was, um, I remember her saying to me, Carol, if you want to know what God is like, you need to remember the cross. You need to look again at the cross. If you want to know how God feels about those who are in pain or those who are broken or those who don't yet know him, you need to remember Jesus. You need to read about what he's like. You need to remember that he is the one who loves to feed the poor. He's the one who loves to heal the sick and care for the broken. He is full of love and mercy and compassion. And I made the decision to take my eyes off the need and I started to look at God again and who he was. And I made this big adjustment in my prayer life where I started to start with my eyes fixed on Jesus. And this, is, this has done it for me. This has changed everything. I want you to know that I've gone from someone who prayed out of unbelief and fear to someone who's just started and enjoying this journey of knowing my amazing, amazing God and how good he is. And now I try not to ask him for anything until I've seen him in my heart, until I've caught him in my heart again. And you know, even if I'm not getting the gushy feelings, because some days we don't, do we? Let's be honest. I choose to believe these things in faith and I choose to pray from this point of knowing who he is. And I just want to ask you, what is your foundation? Are you like me, battling with the whole thing of striving or unbelief or fear? Or is your foundation knowing the God who you come to, utterly, utterly convinced of his goodness? The way we know him is this. It is the mixture of biblical revelation combined with relational intimacy. That is how we see him. And I just felt like I wanted to demonstrate um, how I would do that now. Because I'm a woman that doesn't know my Bible as well as I would like. Um, I don't know about you, but often when I come to pray, I've got a bit of a blank mind. There's not much in there sometimes. There's lots in there, but I just can't remember it. So um, one of the things I love to do on my... Um, sorry, I got a text from my daughter. Um, <laughs> One thing I do is get my texts out. Um, one of the things that I've got on my, um, this thing, phone, thank you, is um, lists about who God is. I literally went on the internet, typed in descriptions of God or names of God. I looked at them, I copied them, pasted them, emailed them to myself, and they're on my phone because I need this to help me remember what God is like. And when I can't remember all the verses in the Bible, I've got them right here to help me to connect with God and see what he's like. So what I'm going to do now is pretend that none of you are here. I'm going to close my eyes for a minute, and I'm just going to model how I would come and, and remember who Jesus is. And the reason I wanted to do this was because it changes everything. When we see who God is like, it changes everything when we come and pray. So if you could just close your eyes, pretend you're not here for a moment. <laughs> thank you, God. Father, I thank you that you are the almighty God, the one who made heaven and earth. Thank you everything you made is good because you are good. I thank you that you are the ancient of days, the one who's been ruling and reigning over every generation in every nation. I thank you that, they, that you are the all-powerful one. There is, there is no one bigger or stronger than you. I thank you that you are the all-wise God. There's no situation in my life where you don't know what to do. God, all the wisdom is in you and found in you. And 
You invite us to come and ask you for wisdom and you give to all without finding fault. I thank you that you are my wonderful counsellor. You are my everlasting father. God, I thank you that you are faithful and true that we can trust in you completely. There is no evil found in you. There is no lie found in you, but you are utterly good all of the time. I thank you that you are the God of compassion, that you care, that you are kind. You are Jesus. You are the one who was once dead and behold, you are alive. And in your hands, you hold the keys to death and hell. You are the living God. Every time I come, there you are, leaning in, listening, with your ears attentive to every one of my prayers. I thank you that you are the very source of my life. God, everything that is in me, it comes from you. Father, I thank you that you are the God that sets the captives free. That every area in my life where I battle and don't yet know freedom, I can stand confidently because you are the God that sets captives free. I thank you that this means that there is no one too messed up that you cannot save them. I thank you it means that no one is too um, far away that you cannot reach them. God, even through the darkness, you reach in and you clutch hold of us and you draw us close. Jesus, you are our provider and our healer and our strong deliverer. You are our saviour, our good shepherd. You are the living one, the helper to the fatherless, the hope of the world and the one who is and was and is to come. You are absolutely unchanging. Guys, this is our God. This is what it's like. It changes everything. Whatever you bring to him, when your eyes are on how amazing he is, it changes everything. And he loves us so much. He loves us so deeply. I'm going to tell you some things about his love. And I haven't made this stuff up, okay? It's all out of the Bible, I promise you. It's even in red in my notes, okay? The love of God is immeasurable. It's unchangeable, inescapable, and undeniable. The love of God is high and wide and deep and long. It casts out fear. It causes sin to be forgiven and changes hearts and transforms lives. The love of God is stronger than death. It defeated the grave. It makes us perfect and it clears our vision. The love of God is higher than the heavens. It is deeper than the deepest ocean. It loves the unlovely. It chooses the foolish and strengthens the weak. The love of God puts a new song in our heart. It lights up our path. It's a rock beneath our feet. The love of God is demonstrated at the cross. It is powerful to save. It means the sick can be healed, the dead can be raised, the brokenhearted are made whole. It means through his love, sinners become children. Orphans find families. Widows are taken care of. Broken marriages are restored. The depressed can find joy. The hopeless find hope. The love of God, says Jeremiah, is unfailing. And do you know what? God loves you. Yeah. God loves you. He loves you more than you could possibly imagine. He loves every single person that you're praying for more than you could ask or imagine. And the Bible invites us, it says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Jesus' promise to us is if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. This is why there is joy in prayer. 
This is why it's not about our performance or how well we're doing. This is why it's not about striving because we are invited in to a deep relationship with the living God who is utterly amazing. He is amazing. And this must be our foundation. And Father, I just want to pray you'd release a new fresh revelation of who you are of your amazing love. (laughs) Make us those who know you, King Jesus. You are so kind. You are so good. Amen. Okay, let's look at our responsibility and our authority, co-laboring. So Daniel's received the revelation that God is going to deliver his people and that he's going to free them. He knows, it's written before him in black and white, that 70 years are nearly over. Okay, this is the prophetic promise from God. So what is it he does? Well, it's interesting what he doesn't do. He doesn't sit back and say, God, you've said it, go for it, mate. Okay, that isn't what Daniel does. He doesn't sit back and watch and see what God does with his own promise. But there's something in Daniel where he understands about co-laboring. He understands that his actions make a difference. Even when God has given the word, he knows his actions make a difference. He knows he's an ambassador. He knows he's an agent of the kingdom. And verse three tells us what he does. He stands in the gap and he prays and fasts for his nation. Amazing. And Daniel knew that even though God is totally sovereign and totally powerful, he was calling him to release his will and his kingdom through the power of his prayers. One other thing Daniel knew was this, that he was not a helpless slave, but an empowered son. And empowered sons get to share in their father's business. Do you know today that you are an empowered son? There is nothing about you that is a powerless slave. If that's what you feel, just shake it off. You're an empowered son. And just an example of this in our lives, um, over 20 years ago now when Phil and I were engaged, God gave me a dream. And in the dream, um, he came and he gave me a son. And he said, I'm um, I'm giving you this son, you're to call him Samuel, and he's going to bring delight to your heart. I woke up from the dream. I tell you, it was a powerful, powerful dream for about three days. All my friends that saw me were like, wow, you're glowing. And it wasn't just my good skin or anything like that. There was something of God that had happened. God had given me a promise. But interestingly, then when we gave, well, I gave birth to Sam. Phil didn't do any of that. (laughs) When I gave birth to Sam, he was very, very sick. And he was rushed into intensive care. And he was in intensive care for about two weeks. It was a very scary time. And we had moments when the doctors would sit and say to us, we just can't tell you what's going to happen here. He's not getting better. We don't really understand what's going on. It was a scary time, and it looked like Sam could die. And I remember this fear in me, and I was afraid to name my boy Sam, because if I did, it could mean that the promise had been given, and then if he died, it had been taken away again. And I was afraid. 
And, but I remember as we were praying one day, I felt God say to me, you need to name him. This is the promise that I've given you. And it's like I suddenly realized that the reason God had given me a promise was so I had something to fight with. I had something to fight with. So we named him Sam and the little thing on the wall went from boy Wilthew to Sam Wilthew. We named him. And from the moment we named him, the moment we claimed the promise, he started to get better. And he was better within days. You know, the promises from God were never meant to be put on a shelf to gather dust. But they are a weapon that we can fight with. They are a seed that we can water so it grows into a great tree. He's now six foot three, nothing wrong with him. (laughs) Every promise from God is an invitation to co-labor with him. What are you doing with your promises? What are you doing with the promises in this book, the Bible? So just as we need to understand our responsibility of co-laboring with God, we also need to understand our authority but also the source of our authority. And Daniel, like every Old Testament hero, actually doesn't point us to himself, but he points us to another. He points us to a hero with a capital H. Daniel, as an intercessor, points us to the great intercessor, Jesus Christ. And now, as we come and pray, the place that our authority comes from is this. We pray under the authority of the crucified and resurrected Christ. 1 Timothy 2 verse 5 says this, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore. He says, In my hands I hold the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is the sent one from the Father and he sends us in his authority. Jesus, our great intercessor, through his life, death and resurrection has done it all. He has won it all. And what it means is this. It means that sickness no longer has the final word. Okay, it means the news reports no longer have the final word. It means that speculations and opinions that are coming at us, left, right, and center, don't have the final word, but Jesus has the final word. He has the final word. He is the risen God standing in all authority, and he has raised us up, and we are now seated with him in the heavenly realms as his sons and daughters, ruling and reigning with him. I mean, if that doesn't blow your mind, I don't know what will. My mind is blown. I'm risen with Jesus. (laughs) And it's so vital that we understand this because it's Jesus' work on the cross that empowers our prayers, but it's also our prayers that releases the work of Jesus' intercession. So how powerful are our prayers It's kind of a repeat of the last point, but I've got some more good things to say. So if we return to Daniel and ask this question, how powerful were his prayers? Actually, we can read in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, two whole books in the Bible where it is recorded in detail of God's answer to Daniel's prayers. 
Okay, it's all about the return of the exiles back to their um, place, the rebuilding of the temple and the city. It is amazing. It records in detail how God answered this man's prayer to free a nation. And because of Daniel's prayers, Cyrus, King Cyrus, one of his first acts was this, to issue a decree allowing the Jews to leave Babylon. And this is amazing. We need to remember King Cyrus, he wasn't a Jew, Okay, he was a pagan king with a nation of his own, and he made the decision to release the Jews. You can read about it in Ezra 1. Now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all the kingdom and also put it in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, All the kingdoms of the earth the Lord God of heaven has given me, and he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem. Whoever among you are his people, may God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem and build the house of God of Israel. He is God. I mean, this is amazing. Can you imagine this in our day? In our lifetime, God coming and so moving on the heart of a world leader that a whole nation is changed in a moment. And I would like to suggest that today is a day where Daniels need to rise up and pray on behalf of whole nations. Okay, God can, did you know that God can save a whole nation because of your prayers? The Bible shows us it. You can't argue with me. (laughs) James 5.16 says this, the prayers of the righteous are powerful and effective. That is you and me. We are the righteous. At the cross, Jesus has produced everything that this nation needs. And through prayer, we just get to give it all away. Takes the pressure off. It's amazing. Dutch Sheets puts it like this. We don't deliver anyone. We don't reconcile anyone to God. We don't defeat the enemy. The work is done. Reconciliation is complete. Deliverance and victory are complete. Salvation is complete. Intercession is complete. Finished, done, wow, what a relief. And yet, (laughs) we must ask for the release and the application of these things. Did you realize that your prayers are this powerful? Jesus actually said, if you ask anything according to my will, then I will do it. This very promise means that a 42-year-old woman who is five foot three, five foot two and a half, Sue measured me yesterday, (laughs) with very little education, can change the world because I can pray. It means that you, whoever you are, whatever your prayer life has been like up till now, whether you are young, whether you are old, whether you're rich, whether you're poor, whether you're clever, whether you're less clever, okay, your prayers can change the world. Every time you let loose a prayer, it's like a mighty rocket um, launcher being released over a situation or a person, over a nation. And when it comes crashing down, it releases kingdom breakthrough everywhere. This is how powerful your prayers are. It is amazing. Sorry, had to let that out. 
You know, every revival was birthed out of prayer. The Hebrides revival I love, and I particularly love it because it was birthed from just two elderly ladies praying, one of them disabled. They would meet together and they would call out to God and they believed God for the the town and the city and the nation where they were. What is our story going to be? What are history books going to write about Bedford? Jesus said, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. This is his call to us. What history are you and I going to write together? What's going to be noted down that the generations to come will read about? How this church family gathered and we believed God and we held him to his word and we prayed and called out and he came and broke in. We cannot pray and not make a difference. God says so. It's in his word. Our prayers, every one of them, are powerful and effective. I just want to give you permission, if you've got your diary on you or your phone, to get to January the 12th, Thursday. It's the next time we're going to gather as a church family for our Thirst 24 prayer. We're going to pray from six to seven creatively in the room S1. Bring your kids. Anyone can come. You can even have dinner and then join us for the whole evening as we pray and stand in the gap and intercede. And then we're going to cover 24 hours where we just stand and pray for the breaking in of God because we believe in the power of prayer. Next year, I'm excited about having many more opportunities where we can come together and pray because it makes a difference and it changes the world.